0: You're listening to World Building for Masochists.
1: And we're wondering why we do this to ourselves. I mean, because torture would be too easy,
0: right? This is Gwenda Bond. I'm Cass Morris. I'm Marshall Ryan Moresca.
2: I'm Natanya Barron. And this is episode 122 Now Kiss, building romance into your worlds.
1: And, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the podcast. We are so excited to have you with us today.
3: I'm thrilled to be here.
1: Um, tell our listeners about you, who you are, what you write, and anything that's the latest the latest thing you've got out, or the next thing coming out, or both. All. All of the above.
3: Oh, okay. Um, yeah. The, it feels like last year was so long that I haven't had a book out in a long time, but it's actually been... <laughs> It's going to be a little less than a year between them Um, I've written a lot of books of different kinds and audio projects Um, I started as a young adult writer I wrote a couple middle grade novels And uh, my most recent books have been adult rom-coms I wrote a Stranger Things prequel about Eleven's mom And um, a YA series about Lois Lane And Clark Kent as teenagers But from Lois's point of view And um, I've done a little bit of comics work. I do a bunch of charity work. And my last book was a paranormal rom-com called Mr. and Mrs. Witch, which is exactly what it sounds like. Fantasy take on uh, the Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which is about to come back as a remake. So who knew about a witch and a witch hunter. And then my new book is actually not a romance, even though it looks like one, but it has a romance. Uh, it's really it's a magic heist book. That's my first book with Del Rey, and it comes out in February. So I'm pretty excited about that. And what's that one called? Yeah. Oh, sorry. It's called the, the Frame Up.
0: up. Always <laughs> very- oh, for a magic heist.
1: <laughs> well, we love yeah. a magic heist, and yeah, part of what we're going to get into in in this episode is the difference between you know a fantasy romance or a fantasy with romance or a romantic fantasy. There's all these different terminologies. And exactly. There a like, right, at where, all? where are the lines? Do the <laughs> lines exist? Do the lines exist in some people's heads, like the people who are shelving books, and not others?
0: I mean, the main difference between a romantic fantasy and a fantasy romance is which publisher bought
3: that's it. That's often very true. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's not that's not incorrect, not incorrect at all. Yeah. or what was
2: trending on Book Talk at the time <laughs> th- these days?
3: Well, or or is it someone from traditional publishing talking about it, or someone from the indie world? Yes,
2: which is all very <laughs> pertinent. Actually, there's been so much discourse this week. Oh my god, a variety. Discourse everywhere. I think it'll be really (laughs) interesting. because I I feel like especially fantasy romance has a huge indie component to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really shifted a lot of that. But also how that's changing as 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 big traditional and and, and smaller traditional publishers kind of get a hold of that. So so yeah, you know, I think what's so fascinating about your career is that you are building all different kinds of worlds. Right? So you are, and I mean, and you're you're it's building true. your own worlds. You're building worlds that are incredibly well-known. Like, can you get much more well-known than <laughs> Superman? That's literal Superman? I, like no. Like, literally, literal <laughs> Superman? I'm always curious. I think we're always curious. Kind of, why do you love world-building? Like, how, and how do you approach it? Especially when you have so many worlds to keep track of in so many well-known,
3: well-understood uh, worlds. I said worlds a lot, but. I, I think like i've sort of uh i think when i at the beginning when i started doing MP it was very different and i did a lot more um i approached world building in a way that didn't necessarily work for me which meant i wrote a lot of drafts like my weirdest book was my second book and i threw out a complete draft and rewrote it and it has very strange world building and i just had to like keep iterating on it figure it out When you're writing IP books, you can't do that because you just don't have the time and you have to learn how to communicate what your vision of it is clearly enough that everyone's on the same page. Um, That's really essential to protecting yourself from a complete nightmare, which might still happen, but at least you, you know, you did everything up front. Uh, Which is not to say that you can't go off book a little bit. I certainly did with Lois Lane and Superman because that was the first time I'd ever outlined anything in that specificity. But for me, it really started with um, it's always character focused to begin with um, because that's the heart of the story. And so what parts of a world you're going to need. Um, But also then making like the world that the character lives in feel grounded and asking questions about, well, what might this world be like to cause this person to be this way? Um, Or how might they be changing because of their interaction with what's going on in this world? And like for Lois Lane in particular, I really wanted to start from the jumping off point of her being one of the first people to figure out there were superheroes around and really run with the idea of Superman as the first superhero. Um, And so she would have seen something and he would be looking for people who had seen something, looking for people like himself. And so they would meet on the Internet. I mean, it just, you know, made sense. And then you build out everything from there. Like I knew the publisher wouldn't let me have necessarily Clark on the page to start out with. So this was like a, this was the big the biggest leap I took in that book. And so this is like the thing I always talk about is. I did not ask for permission when I realized I had structured the plot of that first book around a virtual reality game, which allowed me to have them meet without meeting, Uh, and uh, they loved it. And I was like, if I ask for permission, they're going to say no, (laughs) so I'll just do it, and if they don't like it, then I will rewrite it. Solid Uh, tactic. Solid (laughs) tactic. Exactly.
0: Often better to ask for forgiveness than permission. (laughs) Yes.
3: So to me, it's like the questions are... What are the essential parts of what the world, the story, the character, like, what are the essential elements of this story without which it's not going to feel like the story I want to tell? And I started doing that with IP and I do it with my own books now. And I think it's a good way to narrow things down because to me, one of the things about world building and all elements of fiction is actually choices are your friends Right. Like it, the more you have like something that's defined, like I want to write a heist book. Well, what kind of a heist book do I want it to be? Like, what's the feel and and how are heist books structured? Like, you know, those kinds of questions sort of allow you to set some boundaries for yourself and then your brain is free to create within them. And I think that's like a crucial, crucial thing for me, wh- no matter what kind of book I'm writing.
1: Well, we certainly agree with that. Our unofficial motto here is choose, don't presume. <laughs> and I think it's, it's yes, really oh, interesting to
3: apply to, to
1: romances as well, because I feel like one of the common smears about romances is that, oh, they're all just the same. Everyone's just repeating the same pattern over and over again. And while there is,
3: yeah. yeah that beginning, middle, uh, and I mean, end. Just
1: <laughs> how lazy are people to start stories and then finish them? Like, whatever. And are there some formulaic elements? Yes, but that's true of many genres, for one thing. And that doesn't mean Absolutely. you're not still making active choices about what you're presenting and how you're presenting it um so i i love that you landed right there in our in what we love to say
3: (laughs) 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 well i mean i totally agree with you too about romance i mean the thing is uh it takes a lot of skill to make something with a guaranteed outcome a page turner but if you think about the genres that are like mystery and thriller and I mean, thrillers may be less so, but mysteries typically get solved. Uh, romances end with a happy ever after. Most fantasies, I would argue, end with some kind of victory for the main character, most commercial fantasies. Um,. You know, not all of them, certainly. And there are exceptions to all of these things, except not in romance. <laughs> you have to have the happy ever after. Sorry, Nicholas Sparks. <laughs>
2: well, and I think, I think, I, You're I think out. that's one of the, the really challenging things, though, because I mean, as someone who has transitioned into more romance, and I was very kind of, I remember my editors, well, you know, this book's secondary genre is romance. And I was like, how dare you! you know? <laughs> I was like, then I thought about it. And then you're like Then oh, I was like, awesome. no, you're right. And then I realized I actually love writing it. And but I think so yeah. much of the pushback is misogyny. Like, yes. like truly it's yes. it's rooted in that because, as you said, so many books are formulaic, So much, so much let's not talk about military science fiction. Like, I mean, that there is there is an absolute oh. expected thing. I think what's interesting though about the romance reading community is there's a lot of literary awareness, a lot of, a lot of conversations about tropes, a lot of conversations about, you know, plot and character and narrative that is just so smart and so beyond what the reputation is for. So I guess my question is, you know, having that relationship with, with readers, how does that impact your, your world building? Like knowing that romance readers are truly astonishingly smart savvy genre
1: savvy too yeah
3: (laughs) yeah i mean i think it's a huge gift and and same for fantasy readers honestly um you know there's always going to be a spectrum like people who are picking up their first book but you know the the thing that i'm always trying to do in all of my books, is is have enough things where someone could pick up and they can still follow it all. But there's plenty of layers there for the experts. And I do think you're exactly right. Romance readers are experts. They read widely. They read more books than anyone else. Um, you know, they just are voracious readers. And they are very reflective. They talk. They analyze everything. They become obsessed, just like fantasy fans, which is why it's always so ironic to me, this strain of sort of uh, you know, oh, that has cooties or whatever. <laughs> and I came to romance as a, as a, um, as an adult, you know, I was totally that snotty, uh, pretentious, literary, like I like magical uh, realism oh, uh, from Latin America, <laughs> yeah. which was brilliant stuff. But also like, I mean, I always was sneaking and reading romance and just not admitting it. But then when I, I actually won a ro- an award for writing about romance for Publishers Weekly, In 2010 like out of the blue as a freelancer and i'm like i should read these books and i was also really struck by how much the editors in that genre were fan fanning out over each other's books which is not something i encountered when i was reporting on other parts of publishing like people did not promote each other's books outside of romance But like everyone actually is a fan and they're all reading it, right? And I do think like romance readers are great business people too. And you see that in India in the traditional world. And so they will pivot. They'll try a bunch of different things. They just have a really like willingness to take risks that's refreshing because they know their readers will follow them.
1: And I think so much of that does come from, like you said, how voracious romance readers are. I can't remember the exact statistics, but I've seen various studies that it's 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 wildly it's out of proportion it's like of 10 times more than the, it's the, not, the thing I won the award huge. for
3: was called Romancing the Recession. And it was nice. basically about how romance was the only genre <laughs> yeah, that had got yeah, yeah. Tanked.
1: Now, yeah. I am someone who came to romances very young. I was that teenager, you know, Aww. taking them to the beach, hiding them inside other books sometimes so I didn't get caught with them. <laughs> Love them. I started with like... No, I was like, I'm reading King Lear for fun. I mean, I did that too. But no, actually, I, re- I read Henry V for fun. It is just like, it's it's so empowering, I think, especially for yeah. women and other, you know, marginalized communities, especially in romance. Yes. There are emotional power fantasies that happen in these yes. books. And I think that's what always pulled me to them was this idea that, you know, you could bring the man to his knees and he'll do anything for you and, and all these great things. And... When I started finding ones that blended with fantasy in some way or another, whether it was a mm-hmm. full on, you know, fantasy romance and, and printed by um is it Luna, I think was Yeah. yeah. I had a bunch yeah. of Lunas back in the day. Or if it was just it was a more standard fantasy but with a lot of romance, I was like, Oh, yeah. these are my two great tastes that taste great together. This is so much fun. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And it does feel like we're having a new moment of that. And Mm -hmm. it's funny because when I wrote Not Your Average Hot Guy, which was my first paranormal rom-com, no one was publishing those. And it was a little bit like, well, we don't know what to do with this. Uh, (laughs) uh, And then, you know, like it literally was kind of... But but these things always work in cycles, right? And like I got into romance at the moment when urban fantasy was also a huge thing and there's a lot of crossover there, right? And I still love urban fantasy. And so that's why I say like these labels and terms like i like as a writer they're more they are more for marketing they're more for like what is the trend of the moment and different permutations and different things that readers expect but then they are like we're actually reinventing the wheel every 10 years right so this is going to come back in a different way
2: i think some of the backlash too because i remember i think we all remember the moment that twilight was just sort of this like I mean Juggernaut. megalith no, just no, no yeah. escaping and that was you know paranormal romance with a capital you know R it's it's just one of those things mm-hmm. that was such a huge moment and and then you know romance itself kind of took off from that but I think what's interesting is that you know we now know that you know women are playing more uh you know video games than ever before that are fantasy based uh you know involved in Dungeons and Dragons and all of these things and the focus like what Cass was saying is on this emotional state yeah. that are sometimes really missing um not always but certainly not not a central theme I think uh and I I would love your thought on the the romanticity question because there's I stumbled upon some discourse today which was someone basically saying that well romanticy is saying that it is, is the world building is secondary and the romance is primary and I'm going I think
3: maybe it's no. more equal than
0: that
2: I think it's yeah I I think that's a cheap way of saying because there is a lot of romanticy that is very slim on the world building. Yeah, and I was and gonna
0: I, say that that tends to be the big complaint.
2: But but there's some that is fantastic.
3: Yeah, I think it totally. To me, it is totally. This is what I was talking about earlier when I was talking about the difference between people who come at it more from a traditional publishing standpoint versus indie because. I think when I first encountered that portmanteau, I loved it because it described me, I was just using it to describe contemporary fantasies of any kind or like fantasies and romance uh, with a broad spectrum. But I do think actually what it's becoming for readers, but you're still seeing people do it wrong. Like Publishers Weekly is the only place that panned the frame up and they called it a romanticy. And it's like, it's not. Like, it's not even, there's literally, like, that tell me you didn't get the book without telling me you didn't get the book. Like, it's not this a peanut butter scene. sandwich is a terrible hot dog. Like <laughs> Exactly. I was just like, well, this is a terrible review on every front. Um, <laughs> it's like when Kirkus gets your book and PW doesn't, like, man, this is a weird business. But anyway, I was just like, I'm not even going to take this personally because this reviewer clearly is like, you know, I don't like it. Romanticy <laughs> Feelings, yuck, and it's like they're because most of the feelings are like parental and like found family, but whatever. Anyway, d- d- I digress, but I do think that like it's become more even just in the last year. To me, if you look at things like Fourth uh, Fourth Wing, obviously, and um, Scarlet Saint Clair, and the kind of books with the swirly font and like a dark kind of palette the Kingdom of blank and blank. Yes, Sarah, I mean they're they're really Sarah J. Moss you know, like successors in one way or another. And they do tend to have, I think, those books that most readers are thinking of as romanticies. Uh, And Tasha Suri, I think, has a lot of fans from romance and was one of the first people. Like, that does, some of them do have, like, very complicated, like, but mostly it is secondary world. It's epic fantasy world building. It's the stakes or the world and this relationship is how those are playing out. This is what I'm seeing it as. And it's like the same couple over multiple books. And there are exceptions to that. Like, I would think Katie Roberts, but I also think Katie Roberts, like the Dark Olympus books to me, I would consider them more urban fantasy romance. So, you know, it's all it's all in the eye of the beholder I think but what you can do is ask yourself what are the expectations of the reader going to be but also we have no control over the packaging and like there are a lot of people who are like the frame up looks like a romance and you've written romance so it must be a romance and they're going to be mad it's not a romance and it's like it has a romance but it was never that was just never what it was you know you got to write the book that it wants to be I'm sorry, I'm a rambler. You guys have no, to be No, we all are. It's fine.
1: No, it's fine. <laughs> this is fantastic. Um, We're just also trying to, we all like to talk. <laughs> we try not to be rude. And like, it's like, is it no one else? No one else is talking? Okay, then I'll go. And now I've lost whatever I was going to say. So someone else talk.
2: <laughs> well, I think I think you, you bring up a good thing. What are some of the the books that, that? So, I mean, certainly for for me, I will say Sarah J. Moss was the first time I read Romanticity. Yeah. Like, that I was aware of. I stumbled into a sideways sort of before it, not super before, but between throne of glass that were the, whatever that yeah. series. And then, and, and the Akatar books. Right. And I kind of felt like I was the only person in the world who had read it. And I was so taken by the subversions of the tropes mm-hmm. that she did. Um, be, and someone said, you know, she really is a masterclass in character relationships. Mm. And I think that part more than anything has translated, because when I read readers responses, They want that intensity of character. Like, more than anything, it's that... And it can be, like... And they want the details. Like, is it slow burn? Is it medium burn? Is it fast burn? Like, is it happy ever after? Is it, like, you know why choose? Like you give me everything in the world with the spice level. And I do (laughs) think it's it's dark. I do
3: think in, in the, in what is shaping up to be the Romantic world, there's a darkness in most of them when this but if you Google lists of romances, you'll find all these later books that I also love, like the undertaking of heart and mercy and um, which I think are just, um, you know, like fantasies, uh, fantasy romance or fantasies with romance. Or uh, Sangu Mandana's book, which I loved, the very secret society of irregular witches. I really like, like that one. Yeah, <laughs> like, but I think if you handed that to someone who's like, "I'd wants the next Sarah J. Moss," they would be like, "No, this isn't what I was looking for."
1: Wildly different, and and that's yeah. there's so much spectrum within. romanticity, fantasy romance, just like any other subgenre. I was thinking about that because I was thinking, I don't feel like I read that many romanticity novels. And then I started looking up lists and I certainly hadn't read everything on them, but there Uh were so many things I was like, oh yeah, that, oh yeah, that, oh yeah, that. (laughs) And it was just, it was, it was different kinds, but it was also... I think within those different expectations, like you mentioned about like the same couple over multiple mm-hmm. books is a very different expectation than what I was used to as a historical romance Absolutely. Reader, where it's one couple That's at a time. Right. And like, you might see them, they might pop up again. It right. might be somebody's sister, brother. And I actually love those. I love yeah, the ones where it's like an entire s- series of siblings. I love yeah. the Bridgertons since 2000. I was into them before. Yes, they were cool. they're great. Right. Julia um, Quinn is hilarious.
3: I wish <laughs> I the show Julia was Quinn. funnier.
1: <laughs> I wish it was too. They're trying to make it too dramatic. And I'm like, these books are witty. You're They're missing very anyway. very <laughs> But so come at, like, I think that's probably why I do like um, very regular society. Like it felt more like that. It felt more like yes. that kind of romance to me. Um, yeah. And it's all, it's preferences and expectations even within what is under this broad umbrella.
3: Yeah, there's like a romance, there's romance with fantasy for, and science fiction for any taste. I mean, that's like, really, I mean, we're in like a golden age of spoiled for choice. There's, there's something great no matter what your weird you know no matter how niche like i remember finding someone recommending not your average hot guy because someone had asked for is anyone know a a apocalyptic rom-com and they were like well actually
1: (laughs) i love that concept (laughs) it's a very specific (laughs) so yeah let's peel that apart a little bit more what are some of the expectations of different kinds of, of these novels and the big one I think in my head is the happy ever after which in a traditional romance novel is absolutely 100% mandatory you will be crucified if if that is not in there but I don't know if that's always true of things that fall into this fantasy romance blurry area if they're not following that structure in other ways is the happy ever after always mandatory in a fantasy romance or romantic fantasy or fantasy with romance (laughs)
0: I would imagine, like, if you're doing, like, a, you know, fantasy trilogy or a five-book series or something like that, that gives you the space that you don't get to the happy ever after at the end of book one, because you, you know, you can draw it out over the course of three books or five books or what have you, and that that gives a lot more space to, like, end on a down note in one particular book, but your readers will then grant you because you're playing by fantasy rules it's like this isn't over until we get to book five so therefore yeah you know
3: to me it's just it's, be patient it, it's that same thing yeah. i was saying about things being cyclical i mean i feel like urban fantasy was the place where if it got cross-marketed as romance i remember an editor telling me about it i want to say it was a janine frost book that they had published as romance instead of urban fantasy during the heyday of, of kind of both And it didn't have a happy ever after because the main character didn't get together in that book, but they were going to get together and people were incensed. And the editor was like, I learned an important lesson. Um, And so I think that that's where I'm like, romanticity to me, you're absolutely right. Like you're getting to a happy ever after. And you often see that in couples and urban fantasy too. You just don't necessarily know what book it's going to happen in, but if something's Mm -hmm. a trilogy Mm -hmm. and it's romantic, then you know, it's going to happen in book three. But yes, I think there's definitely angsty cliffhangers are like something that readers love. I mean, I count myself among them in that, in that kind of book.
2: And what do you think has changed? I think that kind of made me think a little bit, the the sort of the new wave of sort of book talkers who are, who are younger than, certainly all of us many of whom could probably be we're children children of them right um and sort of that sort of very fast you know indie driven some of them are younger um, than my
0: children yeah yeah i know
2: it's 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 almost there for me not not quite yet um but 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 i I mean it's really funny because there's a quite a few book talkers out there who are super young, early 20s, but they're reading sort of classic mm-hmm. We're kind of going back reading Anne Bishop and C.L. Wilson yeah. and these folks that, you know, were writing these things years ago and finding the connections and the influences that later yeah. folks, if you read Anne Bishop and then you read Akatar, it's like, uh, oh, bad absolutely. boys, like, come on, that was not, that didn't come out of nowhere other really interesting choices in that series that have not aged terribly well. I will not go down <laughs> that particular line, but do you think that there's a, is there some tension you think between like kind of the fast pace and does that give you feel pressure for you to produce when you see like how fast some folks are putting stuff out or does it just cause you're, you are a veteran of publishing at this point and have seen so many dips and dives. Does it just kind of fuel you to do your own thing? as as the world pushes on well
3: i had a year from hell so i'm actually behind on deadlines for like the first time ever so or like yeah i've got to finish two books this year so i do feel pressure to produce <laughs> someone's self same and thing, uh universe same. created <laughs> um but yeah i know i have a i have the next book with delray which is a is a romance and it's a time travel romance and then um the second one is a series that's historical uh fantasy it's a regency but with um retellings and um gods and like sort of trying to make the more diverse world of bridgerton by using by creating a celestial order of peers so we'll see i'm about halfway through (laughs) yeah i'm interested where's the pre-order link the first one is the taming of the shrew with nice. uh, the god of war and the the eldest sister of the apothecary shop
1: <laughs> 100%
2: there 100% Oh in. no, Kaz, I think this was like actually just written for you <laughs> It might have been, yeah <laughs> But the
3: world building for this was really, it has been the hardest part Because it's like, what do you keep so that it is recognizable to Regency readers and But you want it to be satisfying as? See, this is where I always am killing myself as a writer And I'm sure you guys can relate Is I'll be like, why just have to make it work on one thing And instead risk disappointing two different kinds of readers By mashing things up Because that's the kind of books I like um but like the heist book I wanted it to be a heist that's working in the real world rules but also in this magic world rules so it's like it has to do both right you have to have regular cops that would bust an art heist like this and you have to have the magic stuff going on so I just try to make it as difficult as I can and then and then (laughs) when people say it's fun I'm like great that means that you didn't say that it was difficult so fun is a great compliment (laughs)
2: absolutely I think I think history throwing that in. I I'm also writing a Regency mm, series that, it, that has magical romance elements exciting there's, there's, we'll have to swap yeah, I'm I I'm, I'm, I'm all for this because it's it's one of my favorite things ever and and it is much lighter but in that period of time I want to try to make it light and yet so many horrible oh things my in God. horrible things in the world. <laughs>
0: Like <laughs> so the worst of words. the
2: worst so I'm trying it's, it, it is a hard thing to not get lost in all of that how how do you keep track of we just did an episode about uh, world bibles and sort of organization and things how do you keep organized when you are doing these deep, deep dives or do you try to just juggle it in your head
3: i mostly try to juggle it in my head i know a lot about any given thing while i'm writing that section and then i have just tucked away the research for when someone asked me later and i'm like well i read five books about this for this one line (laughs) (laughs) because i can't really retain it but i can become a master of it in the short term the stuff i make up i think i remember pretty well um but you know i mean i'm sure if you quizzed me on things i mean i remember having a terrible time keeping up with lois's school schedule from book to book so i would just be like okay readers who can tell me what periods lois had things (laughs) i should have kept a bible but i didn't um but that was great because you just i had stole that from sarah mclean who's a historical romance novelist and she would just give out a free book to whoever could remember the thing that she didn't want to go have to find But I think for me, the thing about Regency that my agent and I had to talk about when I was doing the proposal and my editor, because this came from an idea that she had actually. And I was like, then I'm going to just take it and make it even weirder. And uh, she was, we basically had a discussion about how Regency novels are fantasies anyway. That doesn't mean, I don't mean to say that the people who write them don't know the history inside and out, but they are fantasies. 100% 100% and so yeah. there is a fine balance there you don't want to hand wave the terrible things too much but the dukes can't have rotting they can't all have rotting teeth <laughs> and be terrible <laughs> Oh no, yes, they were in real life.
1: No, I mean. I've 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 run into that. I tr- I tried uh, several years ago to start writing a Regency something and it was like, Oh no, I fucked up a perfectly good rom com. I gave it parliament. Like <laughs> Exactly.
3: It's like, oh, I this
1: have, is not have, fun anymore.
3: I fell into the parliament trap. There's, now India there's Houlton. labor unions. I'm India. I'm for them, but they're not fun. Have you guys it, read the India Holton books? Because they actually have suffragists in them and they're so much fun and she manages to like actually the first one is totally based around a parliamentary vote is the a plot and it's great it's called bringing down the duke
1: i need this i'm writing this down
3: (laughs) yeah those are wonderful but they are not gritty literally right (laughs) yeah
2: yeah and i I've, i've always said this too that i feel like historical novels my brain thinks they're fantasy you know what i mean like i know there's no magic necessarily but it no wait I like gave that... you the
3: wrong author I'm so sorry I was like that's not right she writes a very delightful series of wit- flying houses witchcraft regencies that are fabulous um that I do definitely recommend but bringing down the duke is the one that I was thinking of and it's Evie Dunmore that's the suffragist series excellent <laughs> I was like that's not right <laughs> sorry <laughs>
0: It's important as we load up our listeners' TBR piles that we, we do it accurately.
2: Give credit where it is due, absolutely. And that's I think that's something so much fun about romance is that it it hybridizes with so many different things. Mm-hmm. And like Kath was saying earlier, I think for a lot of people it makes them feel seen in ways that that weren't before because, mm-hmm. you know, we all have the sort of hyper masculine fantasy that was very popular for a really long time and a lot of young you know readers that were not men growing up reading Terry goodkind and things like that going okay well i guess that's what we
3: got here's uh, anthony and
1: got certain books mind, i just feel like i just yeah. be flipping through like when do i get to a girl again like <laughs> when
2: does this and, care, when does the girl character come back exposed ever <laughs> <laughs> And I'm okay with that sometimes, but can we have some non boobies yeah. just for five minutes?
1: Which I think is why, like at that age I found um Mercedes Lackey yeah. pretty early, because she did a ton of like and I love those, like elemental yeah. magic romances. That was what I found because they were like the only things shelved in my particular bookstore that I went to that weren't the the duty dude doing duty things fantasy yeah. books. And it's like, Well, I will take all of these then, thank you
3: there were girls in them.
1: There were girls in the covers. And
3: a lot of them were in kids' books, you know, like Tamora Pierce, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Robin McKinley, some of the Robin McKinley I I found there, even though maybe some of those weren't actually kids' books.
1: (laughs) The line between YA and adult used to be, it was a lot blurrier in the 90s. It was a lot
3: blurrier.
0: (laughs) I mean, in the 80s, there was sort of the mindset that anything fantasy was for kids regardless that's of true. the content of the book and and
3: yikes <laughs> and adults and read horror. if you were reading it right.
0: once you got past the age of 16 like what's wrong with you luckily that's no longer <laughs> the case
1: no we have different biases now <laughs> yeah we have different judgments we cast on people for what they read now <laughs> yeah so to sort of to, to dial back to something you mentioned a little bit ago Gwenda, like when we are thinking about world building for a story that is a fantasy world but a romance shaped plot And this is something that we've talked about in in different episodes where the difference between aesthetic genre and structure genre. Mm -hmm. But how is the world building different or the same? Or is it just that we sort of fix the lens on something slightly different maybe in romance plots than we might do in a different kind of plot?
3: I think if if it's something modifying a romance, like if it is a fantasy romance, then that says to me like romance is the paramount, right? It's not a romantic fantasy to me is like the fantasy might be paramount and to me it it almost comes down to a structural question and it's sort of like what at what point would the story feel satisfyingly closed and I think if it's a romance well one I think you always are coming back to the to relationship in the in the romance no matter how complicated the world building if it's a romance first because that's the part and you might have you know extensive casts and side elements for the characters with those people instead of each other but the romance is always touching that plot somehow the dynamics of the relationship are touching the larger world issues always it is sort of how i see it but like it basically to me a romance is one where if there's not the happy ever after if the main relationship doesn't close it's not done Whereas if you have a fantasy, you could potentially leave the romance in kind of an open the air place, and I think we can all think of examples, right? But the book can still close satisfyingly, perhaps because you ha- haven't seeded that relationship, and, and or you because you maybe it's going to go on in the next book, which is a very common fantasy thing, right?
1: That that reminds me of when when I was first um, working on the book that became From Unseen Fire, and mm-hmm. I when I got my agent. I had forgotten this until recently and I ran across something that reminded me. The first draft of that book, the two main characters who, I mean it's a fantasy with romantic subplots. It's definitely a political epic fantasy, but it definitely has strong romantic subplots because mm-hmm. I I like romance. Yeah. But I like a slow burn. Yeah. <laughs> and I did I had forgotten just how slow I initially intended this burn to be. <laughs> Initially, these two characters did not hook up until book three. They're not gonna meet like, until
3: the end no. of book one. <laughs>
1: no, no, oh no, no, they met. There was lots of tension, but my agent was like, "You cannot do that. They yeah. have to fuck in the first book." Yeah, at least <laughs> I can. was like, "Okay, <laughs> I will make this happen." <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, I guess you're right. That was a little too slow a burn, maybe. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I mean, it's hard sometimes. There's a lot of things going on, and it's it's, True. it's difficult to yeah.
1: Well, I think that's what. That's what world building can give to a romance in some ways Mm. is different kinds of problems. Yeah. Because the whole point of a romance is why can't these two be together immediately on page one, right? Yeah. And world building, you know, in fantasy or sci-fi, we can come up with different reasons than you might see in a historical or a contemporary romance. Like there's a magical reason they can't be together. Or just
3: a more extreme version of Mm. of the regular reason, right? Like all the dating. They live three dating. centuries
0: apart. Yeah. That's inconvenient. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is
1: inconvenient. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a magical caste system or something. You know, we have right. our class differences often in traditional romances, but it's, it's this time it's determined by your magic level or something. Like that I think is where the the world building can really serve the plot by by creating these essential complications to throw in characters' paths. <laughs>
3: I do think there's a weird thing going on. Actually, I hadn't really thought about this yet. But um, I think when we were talking about Sarah Moss being kind of the the leading edge of the romanticcy curve, I do think that what you are seeing is a lot of the readers that are driving this demand are people that grew up in the heyday of fantasy YA that did have all those like the dystopians mm-hmm. that romances mm-hmm. that were... You know like we are outlawing love or you have to get married to this person which really don't make sense sense because i mean outlawing it yes we see that in real life but like the you must get married kind of thing is like um i don't know just the way that they were written there were some of them that were pretty ridiculous i mean some were great um i don't want to get myself in trouble with anyone um some were great as long as you don't name names, don't have to like, name names. No, you're allowed but to I say think, some books uh, are not great but i think true. that they i think that they, those readers are driving demand for this somewhat and you and what we're seeing though is um ya is kind of flailing because it's trying to keep readers that have already left the genre by publishing a lot of these and some of them more adult than perhaps would be published as ya a few years ago. And so I wonder if we'll see more of those books migrate up to adult now that it is a thing. I think people were publishing in, them in YA because that's where Sarah Moss started, right? And then a lot of them are not finding the Boggles readership. my mind.
2: <laughs> Boggles my mind that the Akatar books could possibly be considered YA. Well, I still remember the big controversy than, yeah. when
3: there was like the sexy book box that was Akatar yeah, themed. Yeah,
2: I, but I think, I think that's really an interesting thought though. It's like how does spice level drive this Well, yeah. a lot of what i've seen is sort of the if in the agatar world chapter 53 i believe is like the, the 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 chapter in the second book where the main couple finally gets yeah. down to business and it's it's very down yeah. to business like it's there's a lot yeah. there's a lot very clear uh dining happening yeah. um and uh <laughs> but i think <laughs> i think from a uh, from that kind of spawned sort of this also crossover into dark fantasy that kind of even even touches on you know the erotica genre oh, right of course you, you have, and, and so so i think there's now this expectation i always find it really funny when like i see my own books get a spice level rating because mm-hmm. i'm not thinking about that when i'm doing it right and story graph is cool because you know it's this competitor yeah. to, to goodreads but i really like how it kind of gives you the data of the tags people put Yeah. I'm like, I wrote a dark, medium burn with, you know, one and a half peppers. Okay. <laughs> Second book is going to have at least three peppers. Good to and know. not Good so to know. dark. Going to be really cool. But I wonder what your thoughts are on that in terms of, you know, writing spice into your books. And and I'm, I'm wondering the line is blurring more and more to me as a reader between a really spicy rom- fantasy romance or dark romance or paranormal romance. And then a book that is almost entirely smut at that point right and and I don't know that readers really, Think of it as separate almost anymore. There's almost this sort of like, oh, this just book was just really high spice.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> also, sometimes, I mean, it's just, is, it's like in the eye of the beholder with anything, right? Like, I mean, somebody will be like, it's a one pepper or no spice, and someone will be like, it's very spicy. uh You know, my first two books in this, I originally wrote the first one as YA, and then we sold it as adult, and the, there was really not much changing that had to happen, but I did add a little bit of on page. Um, sex scene and just age the characters up to post college but they still weren't fundamentally the same characters and so the I would say like there is some space especially in the second book because they're further along in their relationship but it's pretty tame really because they are literally trying to save the world and because the characters <laughs> themselves are sort of nerds and just, you know, it just didn't feel... I mean, it, to me, it's always character-based. Even though that probably... My books would be more popular if I just put... You know. But the the Mr. and Mrs. Witch is... You know, it's two adults well into their adulthood. And it's much, much spicier. Um, the frame-up is... Like I said, it was originally... It's mostly a heist novel with a romance. The, among other relationships in it. Uh, and so there's practically no space like there is some very chaste yearning you know it's much more a tension of like will these two figure things out and get back together and because there's a heist going on and that's the primary plot it's not like there's a moment for them to like pause the you know sorry everyone we just need to boning time out no one to get arrested <laughs> no one to do anything <laughs> And no when, no you know, if it was a romance, I would find that time, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> I mean, I would find that time. Like, there's a scene in, in even the chase book I did where the characters make out in a mausoleum. And, uh, you know, I would find the time. But, uh, you know, because of that wasn't the primary, fo- that's not the primary focus of the plot. I didn't, and uh, I hope people aren't like, "Oh, I wish there was spicy fucking." It's like, well, then buy the book, and then there will be in the second one. <laughs> nice.
1: I wonder. I wonder how much some of these trends too have to do not just with people who grew up reading YA, but people who grew up reading and writing fan fiction, where I think
3: both. where the where the I wheels can come both. off the bus
1: real fast. I was and as I was thinking that, I was like, oh, yeah. back then, it, back when I started, it wasn't a spice scale, it wasn't it wasn't a pepper scale, it was the lemons and limes. Anybody else remember the citrus scale? Yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah. Dating
1: myself. But I think that too, I think that also plays into like the love of tropes and, and the love of, you know, knowing what to expect. Like, ah, excellent. This is a plot. What plot? <laughs> so I know it's going to be 98% boning. Excellent. That's what I want right now. Or yeah, <laughs> this is a 100,000 K, this 100,000 word, slow burn, friends to lovers. And it's like, ah, now I know what to expect from this one as well. And so like, I feel like that has definitely fed, I mean, many genres, but I think especially in romance, People who've come up with that now are approaching the writing and reading of the genre in a, in a slightly different way, probably.
3: Yes.
0: Which is also yeah. probably why these readers are so savvy about how the tropes works, because you have to do all your like AO3 tagging. God's like, bless right. to Identify.
3: That, I mean, absolutely. <laughs> to identify what your, what your story is. Love and, it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that probably also because
2: there, there's a lot of indie writers right now who came directly from fanfiction. Mm-hmm, In mm-hmm. fact, they're like, no, really, this was just a, you know, whatever fanfiction that I wrote that we then skinned as something else. This was literally Renlo. This was but, literally yeah. Fan fiction. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the struggles, though, and, and I have a lot of friends who are indie writers, and I read a lot of indie writer stuff because I, I read yeah. obsessively and voraciously, Fine. there is a real burnout problem because the expectation from readers is the level of something like AO3 where you don't have editors and developmental editors and copy editors all in there. It really is just about the story itself. So I think that makes it untenable for a lot of people. And I've seen some folks who wrote incredible first books, even first and second books, but by the time the third one comes through or whatever, it, it's so exhausting. So I think that's one of the things I worry about, about the moment is that, is that we're going to lose some people Sustainability. who are great books because, because it's not sustainable. No,
3: I have a friend, uh, I, I co um uh, uh, Founded a nonprofit here that's a writer space, and um, one of our members uh, runs a small publishing company and started as an indie, and they, they are but now they publish other indie writers and they do uh, lit RPG. His name is James Hunter. He's very <laughs> successful, and he was basically telling me that like you know yes after you basically have to pack a career into four or five years, a career's worth of books, so you've got like twenty backlists or whatever into four or five years yeah you're exhausted (laughs) like and you know I mean and I think that target changes all the time and I have a tremendous respect for how hard everyone works because to me a book a year two books a year is about the most that I can manage you know I mean I think people always have different paces right and some writers I mean like Nora Roberts would have been right at home right in in that world you know so I think that there are you know just there are always going to be people who are fast writers but i do worry that there are you're absolutely right there are some people that are just gonna hit a wall
2: i think you see that in the quality of the writing too and that's one of the hard things about first books in general because even indie or not you tend to have more time right and then all of a sudden i mean not that i know what that's like that i'm currently writing a second book where just like second book's the hardest it is it is the hardest my usually my favorite but it can also be be so difficult and i think that you know There's been a lot of sort of schism that's unnecessary in in sort of indie versus traditional publishing. Oh, absolutely. It's ridiculous. And people keep opening their mouths and saying stuff. Laurel K. Hamilton, just shut it. (laughs) Just the punching down, the punching down. I will name
3: a name. Yeah, yeah. That's that's (laughs)
1: fine. That's punching up. I just don't know what she said. I'll have to look it up. <laughs> she was punching down. And I, yeah. I don't
2: think people realize, especially with the power of things like TikTok. And I know I've mentioned it seven times. So a demon's going to show up at some point <laughs> today. Um, oh, are we all going to have to how, dance how, now, Matanya? How, how fast this stuff spreads and how, how, how just counterproductive it is to try to sink other people when well, we all should be our biggest saying. fans, you know?
3: absolutely i mean if there's one thing that actually just will i mean the only really the only thing that pisses me off is people who don't support other like writers who don't support other writers because i just think it's ridiculous this is a terrible job and a wonderful job (laughs) and these are literally the only people who understand the ways in which that is true and like what's the point of being successful if you can't help other people like Whatever whatever level of success, you can always give someone else a shout out or a hand up or talk about books that you like. And I just, I find people very hesitant to do it sometimes. And I'm like, get out of your own way here. The only way this all survives is if the ecosystem, at least the part that can be supportive of each other is, right? Yeah. I mean, I've learned so many things from watching and talking to friends when their careers go through ups and downs. And I mean, that's like just one of the... And someone was like, well, these older authors should just shut up, basically. And I'm like, that's not the lesson. It's that Laurel K. Hamilton said stupid things. But, you know, like, I'm always interested in what people who've been around for a long time have to say, whether I agree with it or not. You know, yes, things change, but you'd be surprised how much stays the same.
1: Well, so much in the publishing industry changes so slowly.
3: (laughs) So slowly, so slowly.
1: Especially make behind the scenes, sense. yeah. And like, it
3: doesn't change for logic reasons. No, <laughs> no, just.
1: <laughs> and yet we chose this. We did. We all. We no we one made us those. do this.
0: <laughs> we. <laughs> well, it's a. Like I said, it's chose a wonderful job <laughs> telling stories. We did not <laughs> yeah. choose the the industry. That is true. That is true. true. We didn't choose That's the
3: true. engines. we were just. Oh well. What can you expect of a business run by English majors who like to read? <laughs> valid. <laughs> I wouldn't be any better at running it. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, maybe I would, but <laughs> So,
2: I'm cur- I'm curious just to change change angles a little bit. You're someone who has dipped into a lot of genres, um which is which is super cool and and some very of the moment stuff like with Stranger Things, um which must have just been wild to was well You've I was re- literally thinking
3: about applying for jobs again when they asked me if I wanted to write that book. Oh, that's
1: so cool. Wow, <laughs> That's wow. serendipity right there. That's just, yeah. that's the light shining on you from above going, no, yeah. no, you're on the right track. Stay, yeah. stay, keep where you're going. Yeah. Keep where you I going.
3: had left my day job, like, because I didn't want to work for a terrible Republican governor. Valid. And I was like, damn, I did valid. that too early. Choices.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's That's pretty awesome. But how do you navigate, I mean, we talked about this earlier, but... How do you navigate the sort of expectations and and sometimes negativity that comes through or it, at this point does it just not
3: bother you anymore? Negative which negativity? like like
2: genre <laughs> genre wise like you know when you know being in the SFF community here the-
3: there's a lot of I mean it's interesting actually because I do know that people look down on romance but I think that's less and less true all the time and I really don't care about people who look down on romance but Kidlet, I feel like I'm taken more seriously a little bit as a writer who was written books for adults now than I was when I was writing for children. I think there's just a whole class of readers and and, and there's also a whole class of people who only care about Kidlet. I mean, there that yeah. is, there is a great ecosystem there to support it. But there are a lot of readers who just were like, oh, you write with kids books, right? Like, okay. Like, when you See, meet people and...
1: That's people who just don't even know because oh, I I, know. I work with children and like the I couldn't well, write I for children I don't think because yeah. it's such a it's such a specialized skill set it's so particular you, to to reach that kind of an audience and if people don't understand that that's like that's skillful like you're well, not well, slacking mean, off
3: like, it's <laughs> you know I mean it's not that long ago. some program I mean some academic job programs won't even let you at least used to be the case not that long ago that they didn't consider those publications like you only list books for adults
1: this is not a publication it's a hallucination that
3: 10 people read what no i'm serious (laughs) um so there's always been a bit of a double standard there and i think that's why there's such a robust support system and like the ala awards are such a huge thing and the genre is so supportive but i also don't like the narrative that pits like there was a kind of a even among like my peers some of them when i was away writer that's like well adult books suck and it's like no actually no <laughs> actually generalizations about what books suck are stupid <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> unless we're talking about rush limbaugh's books and then yes they suck we can make that blanket statement yeah
1: <laughs> but no everything else is just i mean it's like with it it's like with any other genre difference you are tailoring your work to a different right. audience a different intended right. audience at least right right and that's writing that's that's all kinds of writing. That's nonfiction writing, too. That's journalism. That's literally all, all writing.
3: is Right. And, I mean, I started writing way because I was... That's what was exciting me at the time. That was the first thing that made me figure... Realize how I could write a novel, right? And then your interest change. Like, you know, and I'm kind of a... I mean, I've been very lucky in that I've had a very supportive agent who's never told me, like, don't write that. And, and um, it's always worked out one way or another. But, um you know, uh, probably my career would look different if I was more focused. But I do just kind of write what I want to. I've been able to do that, um and you know, at and and stay at my little medium level.
1: <laughs> this is the part of the show really? where we all She's looking at yes. the show notes. <laughs> this is the part happens every time where we're like, every all time. Right. we're like, did we do that? Okay, we did we're coming right? up on the hour mark. Where are we? Anything we jumped over and want to come back to. I love the labyrinth effect question
2: <laughs> just because I feel like we're similar of age. Yeah. yeah. And, and and I think for many of us, David, David Bowie, Bowie's oh, pants
3: were... Well, Shadow and Bone. The Darkling. Yeah. Oh. yeah. That is the labyrinth for influence real. right mm-hmm, there. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's... Lee, Lee has very openly said, you know, that Jared inspired the Darkling. So... um and you know i think those were those are some of the books we're talking about that people loved Mm -hmm. and grew up on and you know obviously they had a huge adult and ya crossover audience
1: yeah it's great you get you get the you get the millennial nostalgia and the (laughs) up-and-coming zoomers and (laughs) put those two together and
2: everyone seems to agree that David Bowie was just one of the most sexy human beings yeah, to ever walk the planet. And and embodied this sort of I, I find it very fascinating to me in a lot of these, especially the face centered stories, yeah. that a lot of the men are coded kind of Ambiguously, yeah. there's not, and yeah. there certainly yeah. are the growling, muscle clad folks. But if you look at a lot of these, they're they're not. They listen to women. They have emotional interior. They're tricksters. They're absolute. Oh, trickster. Yeah, they're they're the Loki's of the world, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're absolute fantasies. But I, I would love Marshall your thought on some. <laughs> I don't know how much you've read, but what what is your
0: thought? How hot did you think David Bowie? Was? <laughs> um, definitely, definitely a nine point nine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, those pants are impressive, (laughs) but I mean, I think you do see that a lot of this sort of like, rather than the, like the pure masculine growling, like the beast and beauty of the beast, you get Mm -hmm. this more sort of like i mean e- even in in labyrinth he's like it's like i will be your slave i will be yeah. devoted to you and you know like that like that's his pitch it's not you know, yeah, and, exactly where do i, I sign that, uh, like
2: yeah we're all still yeah. like what happened there she, well, she the was baby. 13 that's just as pretty as you she right? was
3: 13 I mean, like, <laughs> a
0: babysitter and it's and, and it is that sort of combination of sensuality and danger and all. There, mm. there was this one tiktok that i saw going around for a while this woman saying it's like like all women and she's of course making generalizations they just want one thing they want to be looking at the ground and then a sword touches their chin and lifts it up and it's like you do that to any woman you have them for life and like it is that same sort of thing of like promise of safety with the hint of danger and and service with with violence yeah no i want
3: you to do it to the bully
0: (laughs) yeah
3: <laughs> the person that's bullying me just
0: stab them <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs>
1: no i think it's it's that emotional power fantasy it goes back to that sort of yes. core driving thing and and the because it, it somewhat
3: is, redresses culture right yeah redresses like the cultural imbalance and so
1: because it is happening on this emotional and psychological level rather than a physical level the love interests are also sort of like they're more psychological their strength is in their wit their strength is in how they manipulate people and it's bad but it's kind of sexy and i like it and like that's i think it's all tangled up in the same same flavor of what's going on there
3: also your hand gestures <laughs> it's I'm such so a shame sorry. people your can't hand see them gestures remind me of the fact my favorite trivia thing about labyrinth which if you haven't seen this look oh. it up and i don't know the guy's name but i'm a huge circus nerd and the hands are the only MacArthur genius that ever won for essentially juggling, although it's called like physical manipulation or something else. That's wow, the hand Yeah.
2: That's so yeah. cool. And I think they had to spend like hours and hours on it, right? Yeah. yeah.
0: I think also like why the Fae thing is so, is so popular is because it adds another level of commitment like you have this sort of like magical bond between that like becomes this next level connection it's not just like I have made a promise this promise is binding and we are you know and our souls have literally intertwined I think the power of that sort of promise can mm. be can be really intense
1: I think like the vampire trend came out of that same like emotional yeah, thing yes. too like the, the idea of a love that's eternal in that way
3: Vampires are going to come.
0: They
1: by. are. It'll. It won't be that long. I hope so. It's I'm happening some right now. Good. Well, that you should, should be riddle riddle.
0: Our, our blood has mingled, Regency and therefore we are one.
1: Oh yes, I'm in. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but that, I mean, I think that's another thing, though, too. It's like because there's this. It is. It is this fantasy building because Fey men specifically don't look or quite act like human men and, well, and so, women
3: in the Fay court have a lot of power too they do
2: they do but you also just so often i'm like she loves him because he actually listens to her and he sees her and it's like part of your life i think i think there is this yearning for so so many relationships to just be seen and it's beyond their beauty beyond their talent beyond their oh, status it's like i understand what you who you actually are and right. that's man i'm like husbands if you, just read some oh of no that's books. The stuff like, that's come the on. real just yeah get her the thing that is her you know yeah find out what makes her really tick it's a cup of tea it's like sometimes it's just the easiest little things and i think that that's what makes it so powerful and that is what's so abundantly missing in so much of of fantasy as a genre itself is that there is mm-hmm. that lack of especially female characters i mean maybe romanticity was born when you know aragorn kind of busts in the in the in uh in, in through the doors there's this sort of like promise of a moment that relationship was not really built out but you have this feeling that this right. man is like otherworldly sexy and powerful <laughs> yeah. and knowledgeable and when Aowen's like how old are you and he's like 355 <laughs> no but you know <laughs> There, I see so many glimpses of that, mm-hmm. but Tolkien just did not give a fig. No, for no. for developing romance, left all that on the table. At <laughs> all,
1: but we're all here going, oh my god! I
2: wanna... he was
3: there for the bromance. <laughs> yeah, Tolkien was there for the bromance, which I
1: respect. Like because I mean we need we need those we need that that.
3: Well, and Also, onto. one of the things that I learned when I was writing the Stranger Things b- books and went back to look at, like, as I was trying to find a way to incorporate a Dungeons and Dragons-esque element, because it takes place in 1969, and I felt like that is something that's, you need that nerdy element, right? It's part of the DNA of the show. And so I went back and I'm like, oh, Lord of the Rings was just becoming big, but it was also seen as this great feminist novel, basically just because of like two moments in the book and it really just goes to show you right how sad like the bar was in the basement the bar was in the basement and people thought it was so psychedelic that it was like a trip so those were like the two things that kind of made it such a phenomenon here it's all
2: the pipe weed
3: yeah. is that? yes is that?
2: but not to say that that wasn't happening because there were many other similar stories they just never got as popular well
3: and i feel um, like one of people, person person we haven't mentioned that has been doing the especially the other big influence who has books i just love and think she's a genius is holly black like mm, i think she has mm-hmm. influenced a whole generation yes. of readers to be obsessed oh, yeah. with the fae from the spiderwick chronicles on up through her adult and young adult and yeah you Silk know the Air. Like just all yeah. of her stuff she does it so well she gets the darkness and mm-hmm. danger of it and is willing to just make the emotional core as torturous <laughs> as possible until the end like i just think her books are delicious
2: totally agree my 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 daughter is currently obsessed with the new percy jackson series oh, yeah. which are you know a great yeah. distillation too of so many and it is it is there are secondary romances and it is, it is just absolute crack for her is that She's where the so gods and
3: goddesses are coming back from yes, that's actually yes. i love kind of thinking that kidlit is actually like it's just like we just want this what we i read when we were kids but irvy <laughs> it's
1: it, like
2: yeah yeah yes, that's true <laughs> she is she is so smitten with the actor who plays Percy Jackson Aww. and i i thought it was just really cool how it, it doesn't shy away from darkness i think the best yeah. Kids' stories oh. don't speak down to children. Absolutely. They like you know, I grew up with Madeline Langle who was always like, yeah. if It's too complicated for adults, just write it for children. Right. Um but children they, I mean, she's eleven going on twelve, going on seventeen. <laughs> she loves romance. I mean, romance like romance is so appealing and so she kept going i think they're gonna get together i really think so she's she's creating this whole other story in her head she's like did you read the books I like i haven't read the books i don't know what
1: happens i promise
3: um and
1: those are those are the those are the fan the the romantic readers of the future yes so. absolutely
3: totally I, that happened at, at
1: our camps last summer i i work for a summer camp that is mythology inspired And we mix mythologies and everything. And the middle schoolers, man, they will ship anything. I want to go to that. They will ship (laughs) anything. It was um, Puck and Heracles was the pairing. The week I dropped by a a location, they were into it. They had chants, like they were writing like lists of reasons why you should be together. And I'm like, I love this. I adore you, children. Like I could could not love your
3: worlds. I can totally see this. Yeah. 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 And they
1: take an idea and they just run with it. They just (laughs) it spirals out of control so fast. And it's like. Good for you kids. Good for you. You're going to be all right. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, I think we are we are at our hour yeah. just about. This has been so much fun. This is going to be a great Valentine's Day episode, particularly. I'm so tickled that it's maybe
3: I might the frame up comes perfect. out that week actually. So. Absolutely perfect. Yes.
1: There you go. Comes out the day before.
3: Love it. Delightful, Love it.
1: delightful. <laughs> so readers, you can get it Ian uh, now. When when you listen to this episode, yes. you can go out and get it immediately
3: give yourself the Valentine of a magic heist with a very good dog. That sounds like a completely spontaneous line.
1: <laughs> I love it. Uh,
3: yes, totally spontaneous. Completing. Not what I posted to advertise that oh. Barnes and Noble sale.
2: <laughs> <laughs> There's a Barnes and Noble sale. I had no idea.
3: <laughs> what? Everyone's Canva overloaded at the same moment. Y- yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: It's like, did Canva crash? Well, you probably know why. <laughs> um, so we like to end our episodes by inviting our guests to gift us a bit of trivia for our co-built world that is getting bigger and bigger all the time, um, and has had many, many interesting additions to it over over the past gosh several years now. Yeah, I know it's it's yeah it's it's been a while. So what what do you have for
3: us? Uh, let's see. I'm gonna say well since it's a valentine's day episode and this is romance i was like i should come up with something in advance but i'm gonna do something inspired (laughs) by our conversation and i'm going to say that well so this is going to come out on valentine's day
1: i I believe so yes Mm -hmm. right Marshall. all right so in february
3: 14th whatever the equivalent is in the in the world of your story if you find yourself in a labyrinth you will never be able to return to earth
1: Ooh, ooh, ooh. I like that. That's a fun maybe, superstition. Maybe it's a labyrinth of gates.
3: Ooh. ooh. Nice. See, so just
1: see child, child that I was, I would hear that and be like, all right, I must find a
3: labyrinth. Exactly. Where do I go? <laughs> Where's Where is the it? tree with the door? Where is it?
1: <laughs> Show me. Show me right now. <laughs> Same. Voted most likely to pitch yourself yes. through a portal.
2: <laughs> I love that we're all kids who actually wanted to be taken away to fairyland. Exactly. Absolutely.
1: Least, can I please jump right in. Yeah, <laughs> Sure would be a shame if someone abducted me right now. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Before I wanted the woods season. so much.
1: <laughs> at that exact age, at that exact age, we were talking about too. Like the eleven to fourteen range was when I was like wandering the woods, just sort of hoping Absolutely something interesting happen.
0: randomly.
1: Like this is how you do it, right? I'm wearing a <laughs> skirt. There's gotta be a wardrobe around here
2: somewhere.
3: He's exactly. got a cloak.
1: Come on now, come on.
3: <laughs> Why doesn't my grandmother's bed fly? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Fantastic. This has been such a delight, Gwenda. Thank you for joining us. And well,
3: thank you guys. It was so fun to talk to you. Yeah.
1: Well, we can't wait for
2: your stories and your books to come and it's I so excited.
1: <laughs> I'm likewise. So, I'm so excited that both of you are giving me more fantasy regency to read. I'm That's, so excited like, about this too. <laughs> I need that. I need that.
0: Hi, you. Thanks for listening to this episode of World Building for Masochists and letting us help you overcomplicate your writing life. If you want to know more about your hosts and the fantastical books we write, including the new editions of all my Meridane novels, links to all of that information is on our website at worldbuildingformasochists.podbeam.com. We also have an archive of all our episodes and links to more information about the guests of this and every episode. We really hope you liked this episode. If you did, please do take a minute to tell a friend, shout about us on the internet, or leave a review on iTunes. If you've got questions or you just want to tell us how cute we are, there's a number of ways to contact us. We're on Twitter and Blue Sky as at WorldBuildCast, and our email is worldbuildcast at gmail.com. We also have a Discord chat room linked on the About the Show page of our website if you want to come chat with us and other fans of the podcast. We'd love for you to share the worlds you're making and help us all build until it hurts.